We are the Riverside chapter of the Messengers of Recovery. We have chapters in Southern California and Arizona. We're a bunch of guys that either rode with the devil or chased him. We're the kind of guys that if you saw us in a crowd, you would think that if he can get sober, then so can I. We decided to throw our chip into the hat and talk about our recovery in the hopes that you can learn from this podcast that you don't have to use or drink even if you want to. We are not A-A-N-A-C-A-S-A, and no one is from the damn D-A. Once a week, we hope to bring you the message of recovery from speakers, panels, interviews, and sometimes just a meeting. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to our webpage, www.riversidechaptermor.com. There you can listen to the podcast, ask questions or comments in our forum section, browse our support recovery t-shirts, or just find out a little bit more about us. That's www.riversidechaptermor.com. Um, I'm Melissa I'm an addict. I have a clean date of May 8, 2019. It um, is not my first clean date, but I decided it is definitely my last. Um, so much so that I tattooed it right here. <laughs> After a couple years when I was sure it would be my last. When I first came into these rooms on my first clean date, I was fresh out of jail, living in my car for about a week. Found the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, put myself in a residential treatment center so I didn't have to be homeless anymore. And when I got out of there, I bounced around to a couple sober livings and I really, really tried to make this program work for me. While I was in jail, only visitor I had was from CPS. Oh, and they came in to let me know that my kids were gone. and. Uh, I was going to have to work really hard to get them back because I'd already lost them before and gotten them back before. And this time they were like not so easy on me. <laughs> Understandable because the first time I lost them and got them back, I never even got clean to get them back because I cheated the system because I was a really smart addict. <laughs> and I would stop at nothing to fix things in my life without getting clean because I didn't know how to get clean. And so um, I falsified drug tests, I falsified court documents, completing treatment even though I didn't. And the judge gave me my kids back. So this time round was definitely worse and uh, it, it wasn't going to be a possibility. So I went into the rooms and I tried to find a sponsor and I wasn't allowed to smoke weed, right? This is a program of abstinence, you know, alcohol is a drug, all those things I did not agree with because the pain I sat in um, from losing my children really made it to where um, I felt like I had to at least smoke weed, right? That was the only way I was going to be able to sleep at night. My kids were gone, and you're telling me that in order to get better, I have to stop smoking weed too? I mean, it's not a needle in my arm. I, I had all these justifications as to why it should be acceptable, and my sponsor told me, no, it's not, and that she couldn't sponsor me until she decided to get honest with or until I started to get honest with myself. So pretty much gave my finger to the rooms and uh, went out back on my own thinking I could handle it and 30 days later ended up with another needle in my arm while my kids were in the system and I was out on an OR with two felonies hanging over my head um, riding around like I had nothing to lose. A uh, little bit about my background and how I got to this point. Um, you know my father he was an addict and an alcoholic. I didn't know that at the time obviously I was a little kid and I hate to say back then because it really ages myself but <laughs> but back then addiction wasn't not that it wasn't as common, it just wasn't as um, announced, I guess. It wasn't something you saw everywhere all the time or really had a true understanding of when you were younger, right? 
whereas kids today, unfortunately, know all about it. All I knew about my dad was that I thought he was the best guy in the world, and I had him up on this pedestal, and I thought nobody could be more perfect than him. I loved him so much. I knew that he could be a lot of fun. He would take me for banana splits. We would, he would play Barbies with me. He would sing silly songs to me on his guitar, and I just loved him so much. And then other times, he would hit me a lot uh, for reasons I never understood. He would get angry with me and scream and yell at me and tear me down for things that I didn't even know what I did wrong. And so at a very young age, I learned how to find comfort in feeling safe and afraid of the same person at the same time. That was what I knew. I also knew that if I didn't want to be treated that way, I had to walk on eggshells all the time to make sure I didn't make them mad, right? So that was my first experience with what a man in a relationship is supposed to look like. My father killed himself when I was 11 years old due to his disease. At that time, my whole world, as an 11-year-old little girl who idealized him, got flipped upside down. And, you know, the kicker is, like us addicts who like to be so dramatic, he decided to do that on the night that my mom and me and my little brother were moving in with uh, who was going to be my new stepdad. So because that happened on the same night, now this excitement and this new person in my life who was a really nice guy, I hated him. I hated him. I blamed him. Um, if it weren't for him, my dad would be alive. You know, I was, I was only 11 years old. I still didn't understand anything behind suicide or addiction or what that meant. All I knew is that this person who was supposed to love me, who'd always kept me safe, abandoned me. And now I'm alone and I'm scared. And that's what I lived in for the rest of my growing up. Um, I hated my mom because as I grew up, you know, my poor mother, never being able to understand her her part of this or her, well, what she had to go through, right, living with a man like my father, um, who was abusive to me and to her, she was not sad to see him gone, <laughs> understandably. But as a child, I couldn't understand. I thought she was just this heartless bitch, and I hated her. I couldn't understand, you know. Um, my little brother was so young that... He jumped right in. He started calling uh, my stepdad dad, and here it was, this perfect little family that's carrying on as if my dad never existed, and I'm left behind with this loyalty to him and this fear and this pain that I didn't know what to do with, right? So at 12 years old, I was 51 50 I decided to take a whole bottle of ibuprofen, not because I thought it would kill me, <laughs> but because I was so desperate to do something to feel different, right? And so my mom had me 5150 to spend about seven days in this psych unit, which, you know, made me feel even worse because I was like, I'm not crazy. I just don't want to hurt anymore. Like, I don't understand why I'm here. So, you know, I got out of there moving forward. I got involved with my very first boyfriend as a freshman in high school, and he introduced me to weed and alcohol and all those good things. I would ditch school, run away from home on a regular basis. There was one time there were three different um, police stations looking for me from three different cities. And I was hiding out at this guy's house because his parents, or his mother rather, completely enabled his behavior. And she was an addict herself and she didn't care. So she lied to the police when they came looking for me and hid me there. Until later that night, I was finally found and taken into the station to wait for my mom. That was my first real taste with running into trouble because all I wanted to do was get high and I hadn't even really been using for more than a week. As soon as it hit my system, it was all I wanted and I felt like it was what I needed to get by. Um, I got in a lot of trouble for that, obviously. I got in a lot of trouble, ended up in a, got kicked out of school, ended up in an outpatient program, going to a new school. And 
you know, my mom was not easy on me when I got in trouble. Like, everything was gone. I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't use a phone. I couldn't go anywhere. Like, I was on prison lockdown for, like, the whole summer. <laughs> As a kid, that's, like, the worst thing you could do to somebody, right? And so I decided I didn't like getting in trouble, but I didn't want to stop using and doing what I was doing. So I learned how to do it in a very sneaky way. I learned how to do it so that I got away with it. I learned how to do it while doing good in school, while being what my mom needed me to be. I learned how to hide it very well. By the time I hit 17, things got out of control again because suddenly that wasn't enough for me. I, you know, started messing around with anything and everything that could come my way. And I thank God when I was a teenager that fentanyl was not a thing because I would have died before 18, no doubt. Um, I was the kind of addict who whatever guy handed me something to take, I fucking took it and asked questions later, right? What is this supposed to do anyway? What is this? What, you know, didn't matter because it was already in my system. And so at 17, my parents decided to try and do something before I turned 18, and they sent me to Utah to this teen, troubled teen youth center, where I stayed pretty much up until a month before I turned 18. The problem was, at this point, nobody understood that I was a fucking addict, right? Like, I didn't even understand that that's what I was. I just knew that I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and nobody was letting me, and it was pissing me off. That's the furthest of my understanding of what was going on. Um, it wasn't the trauma of my dad. It wasn't... Uh, me just trying to act out and be rebellious. It was me being an addict, and that was it. Not long after I got back, I carried on with my partying ways, right, and doing anything and everything. I couldn't stay in an apartment for more than 30 days without getting evicted. I was couch surfing. I slept in motels. Like, I got my first taste of really living that addict life, right? And then I got pregnant. And I was single when I got pregnant and decided to beg my parents to let me come back because I was scared and I didn't know what to do. I was only 21. And so I went back home. And something in me at that point changed and shifted. I had no idea that I really wanted to be a mom until I felt this baby growing and moving inside me. And all of a sudden, it was the most important thing in my world. And I made a promise to her while she was still in my womb and to myself that I would not, I would never hurt her the way my dad hurt me. I would not just abandon her or ever leave her or do anything like that. And that I was going to do better and be better for her. Um, and that worked for a little while, you know. I quit using through my pregnancy, obviously. Um, after she was born, I started drinking again because I justified that. Everybody in my family drank. Um, I had always drank. It wasn't a big deal to me. So never mind I was drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a night and getting blackout drunk to go to bed by myself. That wasn't a problem. I was just drinking. Um, and since I had learned to start drinking wine and stop taking all the shots and drinking all the beer, well, now it's justified because that's what moms do, right? They have a glass of wine after the kids go to bed. Not a bottle, a glass. But anyway, <laughs> everything was going good. I went back to school. I got my associate's degree, um, and I got certified as a paralegal. And I was getting ready to start a career and get into a position to really take care of this kid. And uh, then I met my first husband. And that was the beginning of the end for me. Uh, this man was charming, and um, he said all the right things. And... I was already broken when he found me just because I never healed from any of the shit I did throughout my childhood. Um, I had buried it, but I never healed from it. So by the time he found me, um, I was very, I was easy prey, let's just put it that way, to pull in, you know, grab the control, push everybody out. And um, the abuse began very slow. You know, he was narcissistic, very controlling. Um, but what he did in the beginning 
you know, I felt safe with him because nobody was allowed to look at me, right? Nobody was going to come my way. I felt like I was protected. And that's how I used to feel when I was around my dad. And so it was a very familiar, comfortable feeling, and I held on to it. As soon as he started, you know, screaming at me and the psychological abuse and the verbal abuse and all that shit started, you know, I remember, you know, being up against a wall with his finger in my face and he's screaming and yelling and he walks out and I would just slide down the wall and start sobbing because I could not understand how somebody could be so mean when they say they love you, right? Like the things he would say to me and the way he would make me feel, I was terrified of him. Um, I was terrified to leave him because I knew he'd come after me. Like I, I was suddenly in a spot that I promised my daughter I would never put us in, right? So what I knew how to do was walk on eggshells. And that's what I started doing. Um, anything and everything to avoid any confrontation or avoid upsetting him, right? I lived with trying to please this man and carrying on this facade of having the perfect little family while it was a living hell on the inside uh, behind those closed doors. You know, I lived that way for about eight years. We did get pregnant, and I did have an, another daughter with him. Unfortunately, as soon as I got pregnant is when that abuse really took next level. That's when things got physical. That's when that's when I truly saw how much he hated me, and I couldn't understand why he wanted to stay with me. I mean, he hated me. He made it clear how much he hated me. He was so mean, and he would hurt me, and he'd get pissed off at me, and he'd smash beer bottles at me, and he would push me, and he would hit me, and it, it was just terrifying right I still have this little girl living upstairs hearing all of this stuff and I could not believe that I I couldn't just leave and protect her because I was so afraid of doing something anything that I allowed my daughter to grow up this way you know um, by the time our baby was two years old and let me tell you during that time my drinking definitely took on like a whole new aspect of what drinking was I was I was drunk on a nightly basis which is why the fight started getting worse because I started mouthing back right alcohol was my liquid courage and I would stand up to him when I was done with him screaming and yelling at me and that's when things would get physical and that's when the fights would really start and it was ugly it was a very ugly period of time for for two solid years until one day I got a phone call from him about um something that someone had told him I said a mutual friend and apparently it was the wrong thing, and he didn't have any anger. He wasn't screaming and yelling. He just simply said in the calmest voice, we'll see how big you are when you're in face-to-face, -face, or how big your mouth is when we're face-to-face. -face. And the way he said it sent chills down my spine. I knew he was going to hurt me. I knew he was going to hurt me bad, and I ran. I fucking ran as fast as I could. My daughter was spending the night at someone else's house. I grabbed my baby. I grabbed whatever stuff I could throw in the car, and I fucking boned out, and I went back to my parents, right? And my fears came true. He, of course, came to my parents looking for me. He would sit out the sides, outside sending empty threats to me over text messages. Well, not empty. I'm sure he would have followed through if given the opportunity. To the point where my mother was afraid and she was running around locking all the doors and all the windows ready to call the cops. Luckily, he went away and we carried on. But that was when my breakdown began. You know, I had stayed too long. I had put up with too much for too long. I had been drinking so heavily and smoking weed again that it wasn't even enough anymore to cope with all the shit that I had to deal with in that marriage, let alone the shit that happened before that marriage and just who I was as a person and as a mom. I hated myself so much. Um, I was at my rock bottom and I was completely broken and that was before drugs hit my system. Um, so you can imagine where that took me as soon as I started 
uh, dating this guy whose brother was a meth dealer, and there you go. Um, the first time I found my solution. I truly believed I found my solution because you know what? I, I smoked meth and I was like, this is it. I don't have to... I don't have to worry about being hungover and depressed and not getting out of bed in the morning anymore, right? I can take my kids to the park now. I can be a good mom now. I can clean our house. I can I can do all the things that I'm supposed to do as a parent, but I haven't been able to do because I've been so deep in a fucked up depression for so long. I truly believed I had found my, my solution to everything because I was already active in my addiction before I began using meth. Um, and it's a progressive disease. Let me tell you when I say it took five years for me to become homeless, lose my kids twice, pick up some felonies, and end up in jail. Um, I lost everything, and I lost it fast. My parents are the ones who kicked me out in um, 2017, 16, 17, around there, and uh, gave my kids to their dads and offered to pay for an attorney for them to make sure I didn't get them back. To me, the most fucked up thing about being an addict in the midst of it all in the act of addiction is because I couldn't understand I didn't see myself for what I had turned into. I didn't see how I was endangering my children. All I knew is that I was fucking hurting. I, I was alone. I was scared. I loved my kids more than anything, and I could not understand why my mom would betray me like this. That everybody just hated me. Everybody was just against me. I was that much of a piece of shit for no reasons of my own fault, right? <laughs> um, I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. And I, I feel like that's one of the hardest parts of being an addict is when you can't see yourself or what you've become and you just feel like everybody is just mean to you and hates you for no reason. Um, and that's how I felt. And I cut my parents out. I wanted nothing to do with my mom. And I ended up having to go back to that abusive ex-husband because I wasn't going to let him have our little girl um, by himself. I, I wasn't going to let him have her. I was terrified of how he would treat her, what would happen if I wasn't there. So I walked back into his house in 2017 with my tail between my legs, my head down, because of course he was willing to let me come back, you know, especially now that I had nowhere to run, I was his. That was probably the darkest period of my life, the seven months I spent in that home. Because he knew, I knew when I walked in there that I was going to pay for leaving. And I did. He would have trapped me in a basement, damn it, if he could have. He had my car repoed, he had everything taken from me to where I could not leave the home. Um, he would leave because he'd have these affairs and do whatever he wanted. He would be gone for three, four nights on end, and I'd be at home with my little girl with no means of transportation, of going anywhere, of doing anything. And I was literally trapped in the living hell that I thought I was going to die in. Same thing happened at some point, and this is where I feel my higher power that I never believed in was working for me because I would just get this, like, surge of, like, courage or something. You know, he came home, he did something that scared me again, you know, I remembering what I don't want to talk about that. That's too much. But um, I was terrified all over again. And I had just started working with Uber because I knew if I got involved with Uber that I would get a car, a rental car. And so my whole goal was to get involved with this job so I can get this rental car and work to pay it back. But at least I had transportation, right? And that had just happened. And then this whole incident happened. And I grabbed my daughter once again and I fled to my parents' house. And my parents and I hadn't spoken in over a year. Um, they did see my daughter still, you know, made arrangements. My ex-husband would take her to see him and things like that. And I texted my mom and I told her, I understand that you want nothing to do with me. Um, but if I don't leave now, I'm going to die. Either his hands or mine. It's going to happen. It's inevitable at this point. And Kaylee cannot be in this house any longer to witness this, my little girl. And so she, uh, <laughs> miraculously, she said, okay. And I was like, really? Okay, so we're gone. Within an hour, we were gone. We are at my parents' house and went through it all over again, him trying to get me back, him being awful to me. And, and I was able to keep my daughter through it all, even though he threatened to take her from me. And so, again, instead of 
escaping it one more time and thinking, oh, I should get clean. I should do this. I just learned to hide it even better. And so when I, uh, in 2018 is when I got arrested. And that's when my kids were taken from me. I had been living at my parents' house. They thought I was clean. Everybody thought I was clean. I don't know why or how, because I don't think I hit it that well looking back. But the cops came to my house and they arrested me on a warrant. And I will never forget the feeling in the back of that cop car when my parents were sitting there and the cop was on the porch telling my mother what happened. And I saw her just break down. And I felt like such a piece of shit knowing that they were going to have to go in there and tell my little girls that mom wasn't coming home tonight. I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. I didn't know what was going on when I went outside. Um, I didn't get a chance to tell them anything. I just was arrested, and um, it broke my heart into a thousand pieces because I just wanted to hug my kids and say I'm sorry, and I couldn't. And because of the situation and and what they found in my room, um, I picked up child endangerment charges. Um, I already had pending charges prior to that for possession and intent to distribute and transportation and all these other things, which were felonies holding three to five years. And now I'm in jail and all these warrants and other misdemeanors. And now I just picked up child endangerment charges. Like I truly thought my life was, where do I go from here? You know, I had no clue. Um, And I didn't know about the program of Narcotics Anonymous. I really didn't until I was in jail and a panel came in. And I realized that, shit, maybe this is what I need, right? Um, So that brings me back up to where I was telling you I was when I got here. When I first... Got here, like I said, I went back on that relapse, and CPS was already involved, and I was getting away with it for a long time. Let me tell you, I went to extreme measures. My, uh, I falsified those uh, drug tests, those urine tests, for a long time, which when I tell people that I did that, they look at me like, how the hell did you do that? Because if you've ever had to take a monitored drug test for CPS, it's different than any other monitored drug test you've had to do. Um, and I still, to this day, don't understand how I was able to make that work as long as I did, but I did until I didn't anymore. And as soon as I got caught, I knew my kids were gone. I knew right then and there that I had just really finally fucked it up as best as I could. They were gone. A couple days later is when I I decided to try this again. I went to an outpatient program and my counselor there was great and the newcomers, you know, they're sharing about all their stuff. And I went in there, still was willing to lie about my time. I didn't want to be all like broken and new. I wanted to pretend like I had a little bit of time put together. I just needed some extra help for the courts, you know. But I started here listening to everybody share their story, and I was like, who the fuck am I? That was my moment of clarity that I had. Who the fuck am I to sit here and pretend like I got this shit? Look at my life. It's a fucking mess. So I got honest for the first time, and I don't even know how many years. I got honest, told them that I had been lying and that I had relapsed, and I needed to figure out a way to do something different, and I was scared. It's the most honest I'd ever been. Um, I had to call my social worker and tell her I had relapsed. I had to then call my mother, who was the monitor for my visits with my little girl, and tell her that I had relapsed. It was an awful, awful experience, but at the same time, the best day of my life. Because in that moment, that getting honest and, and practicing a little bit of humility, it brought me down to the level that I needed to be. I was no longer invincible like I thought I was. It showed me that my parents weren't against me, that they did love me unconditionally because she was still willing to allow me to see my daughter so long as I was clean in that moment. From then moving forward, uh, first year of my recovery was very, very difficult because I did have monitored visits still. CPS had closed out the case, giving custody to her dad, and I took it to family court and tried to prove myself to be clean and fight for this little girl because I, I needed her back, right? And because I had falsified all those documents and did all the shit I had done before, the courts told me no over and over and over. They wouldn't even consider. They wouldn't even look 
at anything that I had done. And I wasn't even asking for custody. I was just asking for unmonitored visits with her. And they told me no multiple times. And she was ripped out of my arms on a regular basis while I was clean. And I had to learn early on in my recovery how to how to walk through these no matter what's right how to not allow this pain that I can't numb not take me back out because it's what took me out every time the pain of losing my kids right she would literally have to be pulled out of my arms by my mom I had to find the courage to just turn and walk away from her because I knew it was making it harder on her the longer I stayed and with the I love you's and I'll see you soon's and all those things I had to just learn how to walk away from my daughter when she was screaming and crying for me at five six years old and it was the most painful thing I ever had to do, but what I did was I'd get in the car and I'd go to a fucking meeting. That was it. Straight to a meeting every time. They knew what day of week. I'd walk in, like, oh, Kaylee went home tonight. I'd walk in with my eyes swollen, tears in my eyes. You know, for me, I didn't have a higher power when I got here. I figured if there was a higher power, if there really was, which I didn't believe there was, then fuck him, dude. The shit you've done to my life, I was just a fucking little kid and you never even, I never stood a chance, right? I had a lot of anger in me. I didn't want to be accepting of a higher power. I wasn't even willing to look at that at that point. What I was accepting of was for the first time I walked into a room where I wasn't misunderstood, right? I'd tell people the things that were going on and they would tell me they understood and that share similar experiences. And I was like, oh my God, these people get me. For the first time in my life, somebody understands me. They know I'm not a bad person. I've just made a lot of bad decisions and went down a lot of bad roads. I'm a good fucking person in the inside. And I knew that, kinda. <laughs> so sharing in those rooms, my ugly truths, right? My raw pain is what I did. I would sit on the couch and I would cry my eyes out in front of everybody. Every single time that little girl was ripped away from me. Every single time the courts turned me down again. Every single time I didn't think things were ever gonna get any better. And that is what carried me through the hardest part of my recovery in the beginning. Once I was able to do that, then I started becoming more open to maybe a sponsor, working steps, doing those things. And when I did, it allowed me the opportunity to learn how to walk through things without going back out. Because let me tell you, that whole first year of my recovery, I did not get unmonitored visits. Um, then the pandemic hit. And I didn't know when we were going to end up back in court because everything was on lockdown. And... I was just going to lose my visits to my daughter altogether. This is his chance, his opportunity to just completely push me out and take her away from me. Um, and I asked him to please consider unmonitored visits because he, I knew he knew I was clean. And it had been 11 months. Like, come on, dude. Let me just see my daughter. And, of course, he was like, nope. <laughs> and I was upset. And I talked to my sponsor about it. And uh, she told me to pray for him. And I was like, Pfft. I pray that he hit, gets hit by a fucking freight train. Like, that's the extent of my prayers. Like, you want me to pray for him? Are you kidding me? I don't even know how to pray for myself yet or anybody else, you know. So I prayed for him. And at first I started saying, you know, dear God, please, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, God knows I'm a fucking liar. Like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, I can't, I can't do it because I don't fucking mean it. Then I realized I could find a way that I did mean it. I did pray that he would remove some of the anger from his heart so he could be a better dad to our daughter. That I could honestly pray for and mean. And I began praying for that. And wouldn't you know, the biggest miracle in my recovery in, at that point, he called me back two days later and said, you know, I thought about it and uh, I don't want her to not be able to see you, so that's fine. A couple days later, I got to go pick her up from her dad's house by myself take her for ice cream like I had been waiting for so long to do. I remember I kept saying that I just want to pick up my daughter and take her for fucking ice cream. Like, why can't I do that? 
And that's what we did. And the smile on her face was worth that year of pain. That reuniting with her was was worth everything I had walked through. And it gave me strength to continue. You know, I saw that this shit does work. Even as much as I thought it didn't, even as much as I resisted it, as hard as it's been and everything I've had to walk through, it fucking works if you're willing to let it. And uh, after that, you know, I ended up, everything in my life started falling together. I'm, you know, I got married. I, I moved out to where my daughter had been taken to so that I could obtain 50-50 custody of her, which I got. My oldest daughter was with me from the start, you know. And, and the biggest thing for me, neither one of these children, they were 7 and 15 when I got clean. Neither one of them held any grudges, resentments, or any anger. They were waiting for me. They were just waiting patiently for me with their arms wide open, willing to bring me back in. And that, I felt for a long time I didn't deserve. And so I have lived with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, and I have really struggled with, you know, I got past the using part, but my disease for me is something that is in my head and has been in my head since the time I can ever remember as a little girl. Um, And it's what's held me back from really growing and really learning how to live happily, not just live okay and learn how to walk through things, but to actually find happiness and joy in my life and, and, and learn to just like myself, right? Like I got to a point where I no longer hated myself, but that was the furthest I ever thought it could go, right? Um, I've worked three rounds of steps and um, have had five different sponsors because I needed to find what worked for me. And let me tell you, this last sponsor I found, I got it right before I hit three years. Life-changing. Everything inside me shifted through that round of steps. It's like that light bulb went on. I finally got it. Um, Today, I love who I am. I really do. I'm a good person. I'm a good mom. I'm trustworthy. I have integrity. I walk other people through their steps. I share my stories with other women who feel like they're stuck in an abusive marriage or they're stuck with their kids in the system and it's impossible to get them back. And I tell them, you know, I was a junkie. I was a junkie who couldn't keep a needle out of her arm. I was homeless. I dug behind, you know, whatever was left at the Goodwills in the middle of the night to find some clothes. Like, I was legitimately where I never thought I would be. And I truly saw no way out. And I sit here today. I'll be taking four years in May. No fronts. But I know I'll make it. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I have a great relationship with my daughter today. Uh, My ex-husband and I... We're learning to co-parent. So long as we do it through the court app, we seem to get along okay. (laughs) But I don't hate him the way I used to. And that's been one of my biggest struggles throughout recovery is the hate I've had for him. The steps have allowed me to walk through things and and things that I should have healed from years ago. I completely am a brand new person today on the inside and out. I mean, I look at my booking photo just the other day and was like, who the hell is that woman? I'm different. I'm just, I'm changed. You know, that old me died. She died in the addiction. She died to the disease. And this new me is somebody that I'm proud of. I have confidence when I walk into rooms today. I have a job where people trust me today. I have a husband who doesn't hurt me. You know, it's actually a healthy relationship. What? I never knew those existed. (laughs) You know? My children love me and my mom. My mom and my stepdad. I mean, I, when I think about them, I get teary-eyed because they, I don't deserve what they've done for me. They have been my rock. Um, no matter how many times I have burned them, and let me tell you, I burned them bad. They never gave up on me. Um, and today, they are the biggest fans of my recovery, and they cheer me on, and they tell me all the time how proud they are of me, and it's just every relationship I have in my life today is beautiful. 
Yeah, so that's what this program can offer you if you're willing to accept it and willing to work it. That's all I got. That was it for tonight from the Messengers of Recovery, Riverside. Make sure you tune in next week.